Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you help us to hear your word and to understand. I pray, Father, help our hearts to be excited, our minds to be enriched, and for each one of us to grow ever closer to Jesus. pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This week I have a very simple parable. And you might find it a bit of a simple sermon, but I quite like simple sermons because it's the simple things about our faith that are enlightening. It's the core things of our faith that I believe we should be excited about. I don't find deep theological arguments normally very exciting. I don't know about you because normally they argue about the little things. And this sermon today focuses on some big things. And Jesus used a parable, and there's several types of parable, and this is the simplest type of parable. It's where Jesus says the kingdom of God is like. Not a big story even, it's just a like. It's a simile. From Mark 4, 30 to 32. Again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed which is the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when planted it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that birds can perch in its shadows. What a simple parable. But there's a lot there. And there's even more if you were living in that community and you understood about mustard seeds and mustard trees. Okay, I'll confess up front. It is no longer known as the smallest seed. They found smaller ones. But for the people in that place in that day, it was the smallest seed. So being me, I had to say, how small is small? And the answer is really small. If you went into the shop and said, can I have one kilogram of mustard seeds, please? And I want them counted out. They would have to count out 750,000 of them. There are 750 of these seeds to the gram. So these seeds are absolutely tiny. But this parable is not about the tininess of the seeds. It's the fact that each one of those seeds, that tiny, almost unseeable thing, contains life. The characteristics of a seed, what is it? It is a life. It has that potential to become something. So the parable is about the life and the growth of that seed. Our society tends to really like big things, doesn't it? I remember when Amazon started, remember they lost billions of dollars because to be successful, what did you have to be? Big. So it was all right just to be a complete disaster at first as long as eventually you made money because big is beautiful. Well, I'd like to say in God's economy, God just doesn't love big things. He loves us and he loves the life within us and he puts life within each one of us. So Jesus compared the kingdom of God to the mustard seed. Let's face it, in truth, in the day, most people believe that nothing would come out of Jesus' ministry. When you consider Jesus' ministry, Jesus was born in a town of Bethlehem to a poor family. He's raised in Nazareth. The inhabitants of Nazareth 
were believed to be wicked, worldly, and ungodly. It was the, the dive. It was the bad place. It was the place where if you made a joke about people, you'd say, oh, you know, you'd be rude about the people from Nazareth. It was that sort of place. He was raised in Galilee. And in John 7.52, we see that they believed that a prophet, nobody of any worth, would ever come from Galilee. So born poor, raised, what Australians would say, where all the bogans were thought to live, right then coming from a place where they firmly believed that no prophet would ever come from. His followers, who did he pick his followers from? A lot of them were fishermen who were considered to be rough and ungodly because they didn't always get to the synagogue. They weren't always clean. So a lot of his followers were the people who you would not pick. The people who, if you saw them coming, a group of fishermen, they were the guys that you'd cross the road and walk down the other side or be very careful of because they were big, rough and tough guys. He was rejected by his own people. He was despised by the leaders. The Romans eventually crucified him and buried him. His message, how was his message? His message was offensive because he challenged and continues to challenge conservative and normal beliefs. He said to gain things, you have to give things away, that you have to make yourself less, that rather than being a lord over, you have to be a servant. You have to be the one who gives your life for others. Now, I don't know about you, but you put all those things together and this person came along at the moment, does it sound like a formula for success? If you write your business plan, okay, we want our leader to be from a poor place, we want him to speak like somebody who probably, his accent and all will be from the place he came from, it won't be great. His followers are going to be the roughest bunch of guys we can find. He's going to be speaking from a place we don't believe anyone comes from. His message is going to be offensive and it's going to challenge everything we believe. Does that sound like a formula for success? It sounds like a formula for something to disappear very quickly, doesn't it? But if you look today, there's more historical at the time stuff about Jesus than there is about the Roman emperors. This was God taking this tiny seed that he planted and turning it into something. When this mustard seed is planted in good soil as it was, it grows. Again, we see the picture of amazing growth from this nothing to the largest tree in the garden. The mustard seed, Ebony, will grow between four and five metres tall. It's the largest of all the seeds that they would have planted in their gardens. It's not a tree, it's a large shrub that they'd have planted in their gardens. In the beginning, there was just Jesus and his followers. The followers, a few revolutionaries, a few uneducated fishermen, some women and a trader. This is his, this is his core group. By the time the day of Pentecost came around, there were still 120 devoted followers. That's it. 
Over 3,000 people came to faith in Christ in Acts 2.41. A short time later, 5,000 were saved in Acts 4.4. The church began to grow at an astonishing rate and it wasn't many days and the church was at 50,000. That seed looked wrong from a human perspective, but it was a seed that God planted and seeds that God planted produce fruit. And the fruit that this seed created was the fruit of life. Everywhere that seed is planted, it produces life. I used to read um, biographies. Anybody ever got into Christian biographies? And they're fabulous. If you ever get a chance, read some Christian biographies from the past, great men and women of God. Most of them came from nowhere, had a vision from God, planted a seed and saw it grow. Again, they, as a whole, didn't have a great business plan, I can tell you. Lots of the business plans were like, I'm going to go to China and start a church. That is not a great business plan. Do I have the money? No. Do I have a whole lot of backing? No. But what am I going to do? I'm going to go to China and plant a church. Or I'm going to start a children's orphanage. Do I have the money? No. Do I have the food to feed them? No. Do I have the building? Not at the moment, but I'm going to do it. These are the things that God has done time and time again. He plants these little seeds and the kingdom of God grows. Again, go back to the scriptures. And we see that there will come a day when there'll be a vast multitude. We see in Revelation 7, 9, there's going to be a vast multitude praising God. This is what's going to come out of it. But go back into the scriptures. David. David, your first choice? To grow the kingdom? No, but David was God's choice. He chose the least significant, the one who was out in the field, the one who his father didn't even bother to bring forward. God's choice. He was the seed that God planted that became the line of Jesus, that became the kingdom. Gideon, hiding, scared, became a mighty leader. Zechariah 4.10 tells us not to look down on the day of the small beginnings. Then we see in verse 32, in the last bit of this, it says, Yet when it planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all trees planted and such big branches that birds can perch in its shade. When you said mustard seed to these people, it meant more to them because out of the mustard seed they got flavouring and they got oil. So the first thing when you said mustard seed to them, they didn't think, will I get Dujon or English? How hot do I want to go? They didn't think that. This was a vital plant that grew in their garden. So once... God says, like a mustard seed, they thought of a plant that was going to be of great purpose and use to them. It was going to bring flavouring to life. I love that because one of the big things it did was it was used as a flavouring. And the kingdom of God does bring flavour, doesn't it? It brings a richness to life. It brings opportunities. It brings that flavour. So the birds found shelter. And we also find blessing. Here's some things, again, from the scriptures. We find in Jesus, 
in the kingdom of God, a shelter from the storms of life. I can give you scriptures for these, but from Psalms, we say that several times. We find rest. We find protections from the eternal consequences of our sin. We find blessing. We find abundant life. All of these things are found in the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is like that plant. Not, it starts as a seed that's planted. It grows into a bush and provides blessing. I'm hoping you can get excited about that. Because when you were saved, you know what God did? He planted a seed in your life and at first that seed is little. And when a seed's planted, what do you have to do? You could do what I used to do, plant seeds and look at them and think, gee, I hope that grows. It's not a successful strategy. What do you have to do? You have to water it. You have to look after it. By watering it, we read the word and we look after it and it grows in your life. And it blesses your life and your life becomes richer. Do you have the full truest moment you believe? No. Things grow. My life has been shaped by that decision I made when I was, I think it was eight. I made a decision then not knowing what it was going to do to my life. And you know what it's done to my life? It has dominated my life. It has shaped my life. It has determined where I live. It determined the sorts of people I mixed with. It determined very much who I married. They also had to be a believer. So that little tiny seed, when I said, staring at and counting the springs in the mattress above me, as one will do in a bunk at a camp, when I said, Jesus, I, yeah, okay, I accept this, I did not know that that little tiny seed was going to be the thing that dominated and changed my entire life. And I believe and I know that the change was not for the worst. It was for the better. That tree that was planted in my life has brought me hope, joy, peace, direction, purpose, focus, a mission. It's brought me so many things and I praise God for it. So I just want to encourage you, first of all, to know that God has planted a seed in the, and that's the kingdom and that kingdom takes off where it's planted and it's worth planting. And next I want you to know that he's planted a seed in your life and that I want you to nurture that seed and to grow it and to worship God and to receive the benefits of what God has done in your life. So Jesus didn't leave it there. He took us to another parable straight after this. He then told them another parable. And guess what? It's almost the same. Why do things get repeated? I have a theory because most of us are too dopey normally to get it the first time. Okay? Why do you repeat things to your kids? Because you realise that chances are that most of the time they weren't listening the first time. True? Why do wives repeat things to husbands? Not necessarily nagging. More likely, did you hear me the first time? And the answer often is no. So Jesus repeated it. And he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that the woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough. They understood yeast. I like to bake bread. 
Anyone else here like to bake bread? No, okay, just me. Okay, I'm going to bore you now with some bread baking stuff. I make a thing called sourdough. I like sourdough bread. And it's the weirdest stuff ever because how you get it, you need a sourdough starter. Mine is called Bubbles. You always name your sourdough starter. It's any traditional among bread bakers. And it's been in my fridge now for three years, four years, three or four years. And every so often I have to feed Bubbles. But do you know how Bubbles started? Bubbles started when I got a bowl. I put it on my counter. I put flour in there. I put water in there and I mixed it. And I left it. A couple of days later, no, actually a day later, I took out half of it, threw it in the bin, put in more flour, more water, and mixed it. After a while, it started to look quite nasty. But I went online and it said, don't give up, keep going. So what I did then was I kept going. And after a while, it started to bubble. And rather than having this really funky, awful smell, it started to smell a bit like yeast. And then after a while, I put him in the fridge. Now when I want to make bread, I take it out, I pour a bit in a pot, I put flour and water in it, leave it on the bench overnight, and in the morning I put it with, with lots of flour, and it makes bread. So did I ever add anything to it? No. Because yeast... Well, it's everywhere, really. You can buy it in packets, but yeast is not something you can see in the bread. But it's something that transforms the whole thing. So what I do is I put it in and I leave it on the bench for a couple of hours and this yeast, it's insidious. What it does is it works its way through the whole thing and it transforms a lump of water and flour into a bubbly dough. So the kingdom of God is like that yeast. What it does is it works through and it transforms. It changes. Flour and water baked in the oven is not very nice. Because you know what I put in my bread? I put flour, I put water, I put a little bit of salt. And if I want it to be a bit soft, a little bit of oil. No sugar, nothing else. That's all that goes in it. And what turns it from this awful lump of unrisen gunk is this yeast. And it transforms it. And what Jesus is trying to tell us is that the kingdom of God, even when you can't see it working, transforms and changes. It turns this useless mass into something really useful. It's interesting, again, too, it means something else to the people of the time, about 60 pounds of flour, it's a traditional amount, it's the amount that Sarah used when the angel came and she went and made bread. The shoe bread or the show bread is made with that amount of flour. It is a, a, it's a significant amount of flour. It's about enough flour to make bread to feed 100 people for several days. So what you have is you have this huge bag, well, multiple bags of flour, and what does this little bit of yeast does? do? This invisible thing that you can't see transforms the entire thing. 
So what's our role? I love this one because we are to be like the kingdom of God to others. And I tell you what, even at times you may be invisible, but our very presence is like that yeast. We should bring transformation wherever we are. Even when we're not up the front saying, excuse me, co-worker, but you're going to hell. That usually doesn't work. It just doesn't work at all, right? It might, God might tell you to do it. It might work in a special occasion, but normally that is not a good approach. All you do is cause offence and make people harden their hearts. But your very presence should bring the kingdom of God to your workplace, to your family, to your life. You are that yeast that transforms, that changes, that builds up. So I want to encourage you today, first of all, not to, divide, not to despise the day of small beginnings. Next thing, not to sideline yourself. It's a bit like at PE. It used to be terrible. I was a teacher who did not believe in getting people to choose their own teams. I always thought that was a bit cruel because there's always the couple of clunky kids that got chosen last. Okay? Why did you choose them last? Because they weren't really very good at sport. Well, I think a lot of us in the kingdom of God view ourselves as the kid that's always going to be chosen last. We say, oh, well, I, I'm not very good at, I can't preach, I can't do this, I can't do that. So if you're looking for somebody who's going to take the kingdom of God forward, I'm going to be the, you know, that person that really everybody would love not to choose at all? Do we need a linesman? Do we need somebody to, to look after the shirts? You know, that sort of person to, a lot of us in the kingdom of God think that's our role, but I want to tell you today that, that Jesus plants that life seed in us and then it has potential and that God sees that potential. And often, usually, I'll go, I'll go further, not often, sorry, I take that back, not often, but usually he chooses the most unlikely one to do the job. The scriptures tell us that he chose the foolish things to confound the wise. He picked the person that was persecuting the church to take the church out. He chose the fishermen. Tell you what, first CEO of the church, who was it? A great big foot-in-mouth fisherman. Business background, running a large corporation that, that was 50,000 people. No idea. Fisherman. Tactful. No. Diplomatic. No. Prone to saying the wrong things and making really bad quotes. Yes. Jesus chose him. He would have not been on the top of my list. So I want to tell you today that don't put yourself on the bottom of the list. We have to go back. What was the kid's scripture? Let's go back. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, 
send me. I pray that this is our attitude, that we know that God uses the unexpected things. He uses the things that we would not choose, which is often ourselves. And what he asks of us is to say, here, here I am, I will do it, I will go. I will serve and I pray today that we make that choice. So next time you disqualify yourself, don't. Say, okay, God, whatever. I can't see it. I don't think that's going to happen. But I'm going to have faith in what you say. So, yeah, it'll happen. Something inside me says I'm not up to it. You're qualified. God wants the modest things of this world, not the proud. So I hope that you're challenged. I hope that each one of us is willing to say, okay, God, you have planted something. Let's work together to make it a mighty tree. Let the kingdom of God change and transform me and turn me into who I never expected to be. We're going to take communion now because communion is about Jesus' life and death. And in Jesus in dying brought us that transformation. Jesus' death is the core from which that yeast can be placed in our lives. What we need to know is that, that we were dead and had no hope. We were lost and Jesus came along and was willing to die and to suffer for our sins. He was willing to say, I'm going to, give, I'm going to plant seeds. I'm going to give life to these seeds by paying the price of sin. I'm going to empower the world to live. And that's what we find in Jesus' death. So let, let's eat together. Remember that Jesus came and was willing to die upon the cross to pay for our sins and our transgressions. Let's eat together. Jesus shed his blood that we might live, that our sins might be forgiven, that we might be washed clean, that we might be able to stand before God and have Jesus say, he's one of mine. He's covered by my sacrifice. Let's drink together and give thanks for the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Jesus came and was willing to sacrifice his life to suffer for us. 
I want to encourage you this morning to allow that to change your life. To allow that to continue to change your life. To allow the sacrifice of God to be a transforming factor in your future. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks for Jesus and his sacrifice. We thank you, Lord God, that you do choose the humble. You do choose the insignificant to do mighty things. And I pray that each person in this room, Father, will be a planter of seeds of your kingdom. That each person here will be a warrior who makes a difference for you and brings glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name.